Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the health of the global economy as we head towards 2020, whether we are out of the woods as far as this year's economic slowdown is concerned, and should we expect a seasonal Santa rally to end this year on a high, with Toby Cross, Head of Client Investment Solutions, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. I'm Toby Cross and with me, as ever, our intrepid Chief Investment Officer, William Hobbs. Now, Will, it's been quite a positive couple of weeks for stocks and shares, hasn't it? But we've also found that some of those assets that investors tend to flock to when they're scared, what we call the safe haven assets, things like government bonds, they've performed less well over the last couple of weeks. What explains that? Yes, hello, Toby. Um, well, I, I guess in a, in a sentence, you would say that investors have been getting a bit less gloomy about the immediate future for the world economy. So the perceived need for safety uh, has declined a little bit. Okay, that, well, that follows on nicely from the slightly more positive data that you mentioned in last week's podcast. I also noticed that your team's added a little more risk to the portfolios that we run for clients this week, a little more skin in the game, as you sometimes like to say. Is that related? I think, yes, the, the cyclical pulse, we always talk about the cyclical pulse of the world economy, um, it, it remains quite weak in truth, but crucially, it doesn't seem to be you know weakening further. Um, we can speculate as to why that is the case. Um, there's certainly a bit more visibility on the backdrop for international trade. The US and China seem to uh, seem set to agree on a few things. Um, but also, I think, um, you know, much lower interest rates, and we've talked about this before as well, may also be part of the cure. We were, um, you know, for our part, we were never quite as gloomy as, um, as, um, as some seem to be on the short term outlook for the global economy. But we are now a little bit more confident, a little bit more confident on that short term outlook. Um, and that's part of the reason why um, we thought it a good idea to just um, add back a little bit of that equity risk and you know, a few more stocks and shares. Okay. Now, one of the things that I've noticed on my way to work in the morning is that Starbucks have been handing out the old red cups, mm-hmm. right? Which can mean only one thing, that the pumpkins have gone away. As soon as the pumpkins go away in Canary Wharf, the Christmas trees go up. And there's this so-called Christmas effect, isn't there? Or the Santa Claus rally, the idea that markets tend to enjoy that rally. Does that play into any of your thinking here i know i know it didn't work last year last december was a bit unfestive as far as the world's markets were concerned but the stars seem to be a bit more aligned this time around is are we likely to see any of a any anything of a santa claus rally this year do you think well good question i mean uh, you're right about last year it wasn't just a little bit unfestive it was absolutely horrible um and that's what you can say and weirdly there is something in this there does seem to be um a, a bit of an effect where december uh, um, is one of the months that's a little bit um, higher on average in terms of returns. So there, there is an effect, which I, I do find that weird, because normally people sort of talk these things up and, uh, and you wouldn't give it, you give it short shrift, don't you? You sort of say, oh, just look through the numbers and look at the data. So actually, this Santa Claus rally, it seems to be a, a thing. Why? Well, I mean, I would, so I would take a step, a little step back. I mean, I, I would say that we're probably better off seeing this um, as part of a kind of a more famous um, seasonal 
Journal Anomaly um, that goes by a range of names, the Halloween Indicator or, or the Sell in May Effect. And essentially, this is the idea that stock markets, equities, shares, whatever you want to call them, do quite a bit better in winter than they do in summer. Um, so that- when, you, when you say sell in May, you, you're referring to the summer season rather than our former Prime Minister. Yes, that's, that's correct. Uh, now, so if you look at the monthly returns... Um, for 19 developed uh, world stock markets between 1970 and 2017, you find that you can get a 6 to 12% better return in winter than you get in summer, which is, you know, pretty significant. But however, I think as last December proved, it's not something that you can reliably bet on, uh, on a sort of, you know, a, a, a uh, standalone kind of basis. You can't just bet on it one year and expect that it's going to come true. Uh, but over long periods of time, um, it, there has been some effect. Okay, so another thing that I, I was taking with over mm. over the course of the last week was we've seen the launch of the various election campaigns in mm. the UK, and everybody seems to be congregating around this idea of benefit scroungers or the concept that the society strivers are paying for let's call them skivers. What can we say about this? And I'm obviously not asking for a party political comment, but economically speaking, what do you observe? Well, it's not so much the political parties that are onto this. I think it's more about some commentary. Uh, And again, it's not... um that commentary is not necessarily of one political hue or another. Uh, it seems to be sort of, you know, one of those quite, quite attractive ideas that, um, uh, you know, I'm uh, striving my guts out and paying my taxes. And then there's a whole group of people who are sitting on the sofa enjoying cash on cash in the attic all day. Now, um, well, I must confess that I'm always a little bit sceptical when these concepts alliterate like scroungers and skivers. I wonder I wonder how much the concept has been mashed into the alliteration. Oh, well, yeah, there's a bit of that maybe. And I, you know, it, it, there's... You know, it's quite difficult to sort of um, totally rebut. But what you can say, I think if you look at the Office for National um, Statistics, they did um, a survey of UK residents asking how much they think of the welfare budget um, is uh, is uh, is spent on um, uh, on uh, un- unemployment. Um, and, you know, we tend to think it's about 20 percent. Um, that seems to be the sort of, you know, the idea that people roughly have in their head, the welfare, but about 20% of the welfare budget goes that way. The reality is that it's somewhere around 1%. So that would suggest that it's, a, if, if there is an effect, it's a much smaller one than, uh, than many would like to make it, I guess. So that's interesting. And another, exactly another example of the data telling a different story mm. from the, the caricature. And yeah. just another proof point that actually the reality is a lot more complicated mm-hmm. than that political caricature that we, uh, that we might be seeing in our, in our our daily newspapers. Mm. Well, while we're on the subject, what about the uh, universal basic income? So this is the concept that everyone gets a basic salary to start off. Is that something that you and the team can see happening around the world? It feels like it's a neat solution. Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating um, idea. Um, and again, it's not, a, not a, it's not a new one. It's, it's at times commanded kind of quite strong support from both sides of the political aisle. So we'd be mistaken to sort of say this is a left project or, a, uh, you know, anything like that. And the real p- appeal here, I think, uh, you know, along with the idea that, you know, one of the sort of missions of humankind has to be kind of eradicating absolute poverty. And, and, and there's been huge success in that over the last few decades, as we've discussed, uh, you know, the, the, the collapse in poverty rates uh, around the world has really been something to something quite remarkable. I think it's about a billion people dragged out of poverty in the last uh, 20, 30 years. Um, now, but the real appeal on this occasion, I think, has to do, and the reason why it's coming back again, the universal basic income idea, is that... Um, 
you know, this idea of the current impending or in motion industrial revolution that we've talked about um, a lot, however, whatever you want to call it. Now, historically, such kind of technological upheavals, um, these revolutions have certainly managed to transform um, the well-being and um, of humanity in aggregate. So, you know, life expectancies have soared, uh, poverty rates have declined, infant mortality, all these kind of things, you know, these huge benefits in aggregate. However, they are also societally incredibly disruptive. Um, you know, wealth and incomes tend to be transferred dramatically across countries, sectors, regions. So the simple appeal of having a kind of catch-all safety net um, at such a time, it is, it's intuitively, you know, uh, quite appealing. And wouldn't it also just mean that there wouldn't be an incentive to go to work if everybody could just receive an income? There must there must be some give and take. And I mean, obviously, Ayn Rand wrote about this extensively in in her magnum opus Atlas Shrugged, which you are now allowed to tell me I'm boring because it's one of my favourite books. But she addresses exactly that concept, doesn't she? This imbalance in society, leaning more and more on on the few providing for for the many. Um, I suppose it would create more time for people to spend time with their families and the like. I uh, I know I would like to spend a bit more time with mine, although whether they would like me to spend time with them is, uh, mm-hmm. is an entirely different question. But it's surely unaffordable at the moment in the UK. Well, uh, and I don't want to enter into the debate about Rand's book, but I mean, I think um, there have been a few studies in this, um, which is interesting. Um, so, for example... Um, during the 1960s, the US ran several um, experiments um, across varying cities and towns in which families were given cash and tracked over several years. In 1982, in Alaska, uh, the state government started paying a dividend on oil revenues to residents. Um, and the most famous um, of these experiments actually did take place also in Canada, Canada where kind of UBI, uh, uh, universal basic income schemes, um, were implemented in several small communities um, in the province of um, Manitoba. Now, overall, these studies show that working hours only decreased slightly for UBI residents, um, with a sizable proportion of this increase accounted for by secondary earners. So, for example, mothers who took more time off to care for children or young adults who delayed work to pursue extra years in education. There wasn't mass unemployment or a dramatic increase in working hours, uh, at least for these experiments. Now, there's a there's a, there's a but. Um, while useful, these experiments remain limited. Um you know, they, the Canadian experiment, for example, um, lasted for less than five years as research funding ran out. And similarly, the US experiments only ran for a limited amount of time and the Alaska oil dividend payments were sm- too small to live on. So the short time span of these experiments is, is problematic because it prevents us really from assessing the true labour market response uh, to universal basic income. Um, you know, so it's still up in the air a little bit, this side of things. It's a really interesting idea, but it's it's still sort of, you know, I think it requires further testing. But capitalism, as we know it, is likely to carry us through to the podcast this time next week, you would, you would think? That may not be the case. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. And may I congratulate you? We've made it through 10 or 15 minutes or so without you making a single reference to the 18th century, which I think is a uh, is an important victory for me. Um, so well done. And uh, testament to the fact that you do take feedback. Um, hopefully you and the team will be able to catch up with us again this time next week with, uh, with some more insight. In the meantime, we look forward to catching up with you again in another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value. 
and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.